episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have my co-host, researcher, minister, and friend, Charles Paisley, the founder of christiangospelchurch.org. And together, we're examining the history and the intersections in history between William Branham and other key figures that either influenced or were influenced by the post-World War II healing revivals. Charles, I think today's episode is the one that I am most excited about. We've been building up to this, and if you think about what happened in American Christianity, you have all this dark and sinister history that's building up to this point in time, and it has a deep intersection with some dark and sinister history that comes after this. But this is, in my opinion, this is the nuclear bomb that started to explode, and it exploded into several splinter groups and movements and just some really weird things if you take a step back and think about it. And, um, you know, historically, a lot of people are aware that these things happen. Some people have tried to cover it up or erase it, but there, there are some evidences that it exists, and there are some people that built their entire ministries on top of this. But today we're getting into basically the the foundation for what would eventually become the Word of Faith movement and several others. And so, like I say, I'm extremely excited about today's show. Yeah, I am too. You know, in our in our last couple episodes, we've been talking about William Branham's divine healing beliefs and his positive confession beliefs. And in this episode, we want to talk about the Voice of Healing organization and how William Branham interacted with the broader healing revival movement and how these ideas he held uh, were spread and popularized in the late 1940s and into the 50s. And, you know, without a doubt, William Branham was the most important figure in that healing revival movement. And and that religious movement um, of the healing revivals and the latter rain movement that started in the late 1940s is one of the most significant religious movements in the history of the United States. Um, th- th- those events are what kicked off the second wave of Pentecostalism. It, it ended up impacting millions of people globally. But, you know, really this period, honestly, it's very poorly studied, John. Right. Um, there's only a few good books or resources that are out there on the topic. There, there's really not a whole lot of good research that's been done on this at all. But we have tons of source material here. And... Um, I guess got a whole lot of it that I've collected over the years, especially once I started investigating into uh, into the you know the the sources of our beliefs in the message. And I would also recommend um, you know if there's any listeners out there that want to look into this stuff themselves, I would also recommend the Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, to anyone who wants to research the healing revival period. They have a mountain of original documents out there in their library covering the latter rain, the healing revivals, and, and all of the healing evangelists and publications and magazines just from those years, all kinds of stuff. And if you're interested in studying the healing revivals and the latter rain, their library is a really great resource. And I've been there multiple times to pull documents on things and fill in some of the holes in, in my own collection. And of all the places I've been to research, they probably have the best uh, the best tools and resources for researching these revivals that I've seen. And of course, John, your website is got a mountain of information on it too 
So, um, but yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. Gordon Lindsay, the voice of healing and, and how those things came together. Yeah. And you mentioned Oral Roberts and a lot of people aren't aware that Oral Roberts was in the message, you know, the message cult following of William Branham back when it was called the latter rain message. And before it turned into the, you know, the cult of personality, what it became later, um, you know, in later versions of William Branham's stage persona, he's speaking very strongly against Oral Roberts and um, Billy Graham, and they're his chief competitors, basically. But in the early years, it wasn't that way. He was, no. William Branham was trying very hard to get um, connected to Billy Graham and even worked through Matson Bose to, uh, you know, stage a meeting between the men. And uh, Billy Graham. You know, by that point, he was so big, he really didn't need William Branham and moved on. But Oral Roberts, in his early days, he was connected to this. He was in this. And um, I recommend anybody who is just curious about the names that were connected to this, go on our website and in the menu, go down to The Voice of Healing. You can look through these magazines and you'll see hundreds if not thousands of men who were involved with William Branham's latter rain message at the point of time in which it was you know the voice of healing revival and the latter rain movement merged for a period of time then they split but they were cross-pollinated by that point and you'll see in these magazines you'll find latter rain guys you'll find men who separated from latter rain but they're all still very very connected Right. And, you know, I, I think as time goes on, we're going to do some more episodes on how all of these things break up and split out. But Ladder Rain, um, the Ladder Rain side of stuff, as time goes on, really Joseph Matson Bose and the Herald of Faith kind of represents the mainstream of, of Ladder Rain. But what Joseph Matson Bose and Herald of Faith are to the, to the Ladder Rain is it diverges. Gordon Lindsay and Voice of Healing are to the mainstream of the healing revival. And I think Gordon Lindsay and the Voice of Healing are really the keys to understanding how the healing revivals worked at kind of an organizational level. And I want to talk about that just a little bit about how that Voice of Healing organization was created. And, you know, as I, as I look over the history of how, you know, all this got going, it seems pretty obvious to me that the first priority when they started to make the Voice of Healing magazine in 1948, that, that first priority was really to try and counter all of the negative press and negative publicity that William Branham was getting in the newspapers. Because he was getting almost universally bad press, right. <laughs> the truth be told, um, as you as you come into the late 40s. And the Voice of Healing really started out as a publicity tool for the Branham campaigns. And... And they did that because, like I said, the newspapers were just giving them lots of bad press. And the Voice of Healing magazine was uh, a way they could start to make their own press and to control the narrative about what was happening in the healing revivals. And honestly, it was in that respect, John, it was very successful, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. for most people who look back at the healing revivals, I mean, nobody remembers the newspaper articles when Carol Ruth Strubler died, right? Nobody remembers the the article that Donnie Morton died. Nobody remembers any of the bad press, but everyone remembers all of the healing stories told in the voice of healing. So in that way, it was very successful. And for people like us in the message, 
Really, the only lens through which we saw or understood the healing revivals was the window that Voice of Healing gave us. We, we just heard and saw what they wanted us to hear and see about it. And really, nobody remembers that mountain of newspaper articles and negative press that a lot of it's been dug up and is on your website now. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are unaware that um, the negative press took a severe toll on William Branham's mental health. It's something that the elites in William Branham's cult of personality are aware, but the vast majority of the rank-and-file members of the cult of personality have no idea that William Branham had a complete mental breakdown, and it came on the heels of all of the bad publicity that happened in 1948, and you can easily piece this together without taking our word for it. Just take a look through the Voice of Healing magazines. You'll see the first issue is clearly advertising William Branham and his ministry, his meetings, and, um, you know, this goes out and then all this bad publicity happens and William Branham just disappears. Nobody knows where he is. And I have, um, I just dug it up this morning to try to remember when it was, but it was the January 1949 issue of the Voice of Healing. There's an article entitled Branham is Back. So, 1948, he launches Voice of Healing to advertise himself. The bad press happens. He disappears, and at that point, Gordon Lindsay basically took control of his magazine. And there was a minister, I believe it was William Freeman was the name. He became basically William Branham's replacement in 1948. Then um, when William Branham came back, uh, Branham was the chief editor, but after his mental breakdown, Gordon Lindsay becomes the chief editor, and um, William Branham and William Freeman become the, um, you know, the supplemental editors of this publication. And um, you know, it's it's significant if you think about a cult that was created off of the heels of somebody losing their mind. But that's actually what happened here, and there's just so much information that you can dig up to, you know, to support this. But the cult elites have known this for years. Right. And I think that's a real good summary. And and Gordon Lindsay, you know, I think understanding Gordon Lindsay, because as you mentioned, he ends up running running this thing before or too much too long after it gets started. But Gordon Lindsay is someone who's really important to understand in all of this. And I know somewhere down the road we probably should do a full episode just on kind of Gordon Lindsay and his backstory. Um but just kind of a brief summary of Gordon Lindsay for this episode is um, he had been born in Zion, Illinois, into the Dowie cult. Um, he, his family, like John Lake, John Lake had been working in Zion with Dowie too. And after Dowie died, his family follows John Lake out of Dowie, out to Oregon, and then they're more or less followers of John Lake. And Gordon Lindsay's got a really high opinion of John Lake, and Lake was one of his key influences. And they're all Dowieites. They're all really steeped in British Israelism. They're all following Dowie's divine healing practices. And John Lake, he's at Azusa Street. Um, I don't know that Gordon Lindsay was, but, you know, he had direct connections when all this stuff was happening with Azusa Street even and as a boy. And so Lindsay had lots of connections because Lake actually kind of got him his start in ministry. And Lindsay ended up with connections all over the Pentecostal movement as a result of John Lake. And so 
when he comes into contact with William Branham and kind of takes over as his publicist and, and campaign manager, he's very popular, very connected, and he's really integral in taking William Branham's fame to this peak level that it goes to uh, in the late 40s, starting in the late 40s. And in April 1948, that's when Ern Baxter and F.F. Bosworth have, have become part of William Branham's team. And they all start that Voice of Healing organization together. And, you know, a lot of people, they maybe make a mistake of thinking about Voice of Healing as just a magazine, but it is much, much more than just a magazine. Um, the Voice of Healing was the main organizing force of the healing revival movement, and, and Gordon Lindsay, ultimately, he's really the brains behind it all. And it starts with that magazine, and initially that first year, that magazine, like you said, it was aimed strictly at, at reporting William Branham's campaigns, and... and as you look at the different uh, articles and stuff from, from the first year, it really was targeted mainly at William Branham uh, to try and you know counter all of the bad press. And I think one very important thing, John, that again, that you mentioned is that at the very beginning of this thing, William Branham is the head of this organization. I mean, he is... He is listed as publisher um, and you know more or less senior editor of this magazine. As, as it begins, and he is the head of this thing as it starts out. And as you look through it, it's that way in all of the early editions of the magazine. Uh, but one interesting fact, too, just, and I think we've mentioned this, is about how this, how this got its name, and I, I think I've got it here somewhere. When William Branham um, kicked off this magazine... There's an article in here about how he named the organization and the magazine. He called it Voice of Healing, and he talks about being inspired by um, certain Bible verses uh, to name this Voice of Healing. Uh, but we actually found out not too long ago that he stole <laughs> the name <laughs> right. Voice of Healing from W.D. Kidson's magazine because back when he was working with W.D. Kidson, the, he had been... Um, there had been articles being published in Kidson's magazine under a column named The Voice of Healing. Yeah. So William Branham actually stole The Voice of Healing name from W.D. Kidson for, for the magazine. Yeah, and I found some newspaper advertisements predating the um, Voice of Healing publication where William Branham has advertised uh, heavily as, as America's Voice of Healing. And what's interesting about this, you know, William Branham, who claimed to be illiterate, have a, what was he said, seventh grade education. Um, you can listen to his sermons, and he's pretending to talk this Kentucky English in some sermons. Other sermons, he's not. And, um, you know, he, he claims that he's this illiter illiterate country bumpkin. But prior to the Voice of Healing, of which he was the chief editor, he was an editor for, like you said, the W.E. Kidson's um, Herald of Truth magazine. And that was his main, you know, that was the main publication that was advertising William Branham at the time. Now, it advertised other people, too, but William Branham was mainly advertised through that. And in 1948, he, April 1948, he steals the name Voice of Healing from Kidson, starts using it in advertising propaganda, and... Um, it right there on the front page of the issue it says that this publication the voice of healing will supersede all previous arrangements and he names the committee as reverend branham and then jack moore and reverend gordon lindsay and um he uses the 
you know, Shreveport, Louisiana, Branding, Branham Healing Campaign's P.O. Box. So what this is essentially stating is I will no longer work with Kidson. I'm taking all the <laughs> taking everything and running and I'm going to run my own show until he has a nervous breakdown and he can no longer run his own show. Right. And, and Jack Moore's church is in Shreveport. So he's no doubt the one manning the mailbox and the and the facilities there in Shreveport from day to day. Yeah. Why Gordon Lindsay and the rest of them are out on, on the field. Exactly. And keep in mind, Shreveport was a significant location for the white supremacy background that we've given. Roy E. Davis had a significant stronghold in Shreveport and would hold one of his most famous campaigns for the Klan in Shreveport. And um, uh, William D. Upshaw, who's working with Davis and Branham, he is so well known in Shreveport that the newspapers basically know him by first name and nickname. And so you've got, you know, the Klan, you've got the Jack Moore connection. And during this time, William Branham is still holding revivals using the name Pentecostal Baptist, referring to Roy E. Davis's Pentecostal Baptist Church of God sect. So as all of this is growing, he's still, you know, a bishop in Roy E. Davis's sect, but he it's kind of covert. He's not openly stating that I'm working with Davis, but we know, you know, according to the newspaper advertisements, he is still working with Davis at this point. Right, and and in these years of time, Davis himself raises to the rank of Imperial Wizard, national leader of the Klan, and w Roy Davis is going to come back into the picture in a central way um, at a certain point here, and we're going to get to that in a fun episode down the road, too. So right. Roy Davis is in the background in these years, um, and how connected they are. There's a whole lot of coincidental connections or coincidental or circumstantial evidence that there's something going on in these years. Um, but it's going to be a, a little bit down the road before the hard evidence that Roy Davis is back um, yeah. in the picture it returns. So, yeah, so William Branham, he's listed as the publisher and the editor and the leader of this organization as it gets started. And this thing, uh, Voice of Healing, the organization grows really, really fast. You know, by the end of the first year, they got 40,000 subscribers to the magazine. And I think it's important to remember this, too, because as we mentioned, William Branham is not a novice at this point in his ministry. He is he's not some fresh start because this is kind of the view we have in the minute. In I felt like in the message is he's more or less a novice preacher as this healing revival gets started. But that is not true. No, you know, William Branham is 40 years old. He's been preaching for 20 years. He has been um, an editor at multiple um, Pentecostal magazines at this point. Um, he's not just a novice, naive, humble little preacher that had no, you know, experience with anything when 1947 and 1948 come. That's far from the truth. No. William Branham has been doing this for decades at this point, and he has been reinventing himself over and over again. And finally, as you come into the late 1940s, he's finally found the winning combination, a winning success. And he's attracted some very talented people around him that's going to help him take these things to the next level. And so at first, that voice of healing, it did strictly focus on William Branham's campaigns and giving him good press and good publicity. But like you mentioned, John, that changes as you come into the fall of 1948 uh, when William Branham has those mental health breakdowns that happen. And that starts around August of that year that he seems to start having that mental health breakdown and disappears. 
And when he does, he stops touring for about the space of three months. And if you read Doug Weaver's book uh, on this, he has some really some very interesting insights um, to this period of time. And they kind of line up with certain, I would call almost legends that were passed down to us about William Branham in this time too in our part of the message. Um, and I, I don't know about you, John, but in our part of the message, um, we had heard stories about what had happened here. And and it's around kind of what, what, what Gordon Lindsay does. So when, when William Branham disappears, obviously there's no one to publish articles about in the magazine, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so what they do, here is an article. They, pu- they publicized Oral Roberts when William Branham uh, disappeared. They started publicizing Oral Roberts as well um, when you know when William Branham goes off the scene and disappears, and that is really really important. Um, Oral Roberts really was not all that popular or famous at that moment, and it's actually that publicity um, that Voice of Healing starts to give Oral Robert that actually blows his ministry up in those months that William Branham is absent. And like you mentioned. Oral Roberts was kind of, uh, he he hadn't been preaching. He wasn't on the scene like this before William Branham. And it's really when he starts to, he comes into contact with William Branham and Gordon Lindsay using this opening when William Branham is absent to publicize him that puts fuel on his ministry and really launches Oral Roberts into national fame. Yeah. So William Branham indirectly and his organization directly launched uh, the popularity of Oral Roberts' ministry. Um and what that did, you know, as, as, as that gap in time was there that William Branham couldn't tour for three months, um, Oral Robert, or Gordon Lindsay took over and he just started publicizing other ministries. And so I don't know about you, John, but this goes to those legends that we heard coming, coming back in the message. But to us, the name Oral Roberts was a dirty word. Absolutely. You know, if you said, if you say the name Oral Roberts in the message, it's like a, a dirty word. And we didn't like Gordon Lindsay either in the message. I mean, <laughs> right. not in my sect. We did not like Gordon Lindsay either. But we we liked Oral Roberts even less. Yeah. And um, I'll tell you the truth. I had a whole lot of anxiety going to Oral Roberts University to look stuff up. <laughs> it, it was that serious, the level of, of uh, dislike we had for Oral Roberts. We're pilgrims in an unholy land, Indy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but through the... Uh, through the internal stories handed down to us, John, we we understood that William Branham was very upset with Gordon Lindsay for publishing these articles about Oral Roberts while he was sick. Yeah, um, he was very upset because he wanted this magazine focused on his ministry alone, right? And when when he publicized Oral Roberts and Oral Roberts got so popular in those few months while he was off the field, it really upset William Branham. And when all of that was said and done, William Branham had more or less a temper tantrum, is again, the stories that come down to us. And because they'd publicized Oral Roberts without his permission, he pretty well dumped Voice of Healing onto Gordon Lindsay and told him, you just take care of it all. Um, again, just because he was upset at the time about him publicizing Oral Roberts. And and in the message, we use stories like that to turn Gordon Lindsay and Oral Roberts into bad guys who took advantage of William Branham and didn't support the prophet like they should have supported the prophet, right? But I think really looking back, I think a lot of those stories are telling us that, truthfully, they're telling us William Branham had a huge ego and he wanted everything to be all about him, even back here in the late 1940s. I think that's really 
what we can take away from that. And Doug Weaver and and uh, David Edwin Harrell actually both cover this in passing in their books, if, if you read their books. But there was some sort of a temporary falling out between Gordon Lindsay and William Branham over this stuff in late 1948. Yeah. What's interesting, if you think of the impact of this, had William Branham not had a full and complete mental health breakdown, Oral Roberts would not have come onto the scene. His entire ministry would likely never have existed in the way that it does today because this is what literally made him famous, but not just him. So whenever he became the national icon that he became, all of these other ministers saw what this magazine could do, and it empowered Gordon Lindsay beyond what his wildest dreams could have ever pictured or imagined, right? So this turned into this weird pyramid scheme. You had Gordon Lindsay at the top. You had William Branham, who wanted to be at the top. Gordon Lindsay basically took a step above him at, at that point. And they had realized by this time the winning combination of creating a stage act. And if you just go to my website, you know, william-branham.org, pull up Voice of Healing, thumb through any issue. You're going to find these guys who I was visited by an angel. God gave me a commission. God spoke to me in this vision. I had this prophecy. They're all doing exactly what William Branham did. They're literally clones of William Branham. So you had Gordon Lindsay, who's, you know, I'm, I'm imagining this. There's no way to know because we weren't there, but... You've got Gordon Lindsay who sees this power and uses it, and likely he's saying, look, if you come be a part of this movement, I can make you famous, I can bring you crowds. I've got a magazine where we've got 40,000 people sending us their names and their addresses. Think of the discernment. Many of these people are writing us letters, and you know it's even mentioned, they have boxes of testimonies. These are people who are giving their names, their addresses, and their diseases. And you find that a large percentage of the minister who are ministers who are involved with this thing are doing these, all of them are doing these healing acts, but many of them are doing discernment. And they've literally got this engine created that can make a minister. I'm not a minister. I never, ever wanted to be, but... I could, you know, become part of this and then suddenly I could claim an angel and claim discernment. You know, anybody can do it if you've got this engine. Right, because see, Oral Roberts had came to William Branham's meetings for the first time in earlier in 1948. And here, here's a photo of, of Oral Roberts standing by William Branham at one of his revivals. And at this point, William or Oral Roberts was still just, a, a, you know, small potatoes. And what happens is that after he after Oral Roberts leaves that meeting with William Branham, that is when Oral Roberts suddenly gets the sign in his hand, and that yes. Oral Roberts suddenly starts performing all of the same types of things that William Branham was doing. It happens right after he comes to William Branham's meetings and witnesses William Branham doing all of it, right? And so... Of course, the way we would look at it, well, he was so inspired that the Spirit of God gave him the same gifts, and he had so much faith that he went out and did the same thing, and maybe. (laughs) Or maybe he reverse-engineered whatever William Branham was doing, or he got friendly with William Branham, and he, you know, got in on the secrets of how it all works, right? 
we you know you don't know right exactly how it happened but he comes he meets william branham and he goes out and he starts doing the exact same kind of things right and that's why he is kind of set up as when william branham goes off the scene gordon Lindsay goes to the next guy that's managed to start doing the exact same stuff right and he he gets publicized um and so you know like you said Will Gordon Lindsay really becomes very important after this. After his after William Branham's mental breakdown in nineteen forty eight, that opened that space up for Gordon Lindsay to start publicizing other evangelists. And this is what takes vo- the Voice of Healing organization to the next level. And it's really, really big when he does this. And and what, what happens here is this is when they form the Voice of Healing Fellowship, right? Right. So the Voice of Healing Fellowship is when it really starts to become a whole lot more than a magazine. And by 1949, that Voice of Healing Fellowship uh, becomes the framework through which the, the healing revivals um, just really take off and and are organized. Um by the time you get into into those years, I mean, F.F. Bosworth is one of them, T.L. Osborne, Kenneth Hagen, A.A. Allen, Oral Roberts, Jack Code, uh, Raymond T. Ritchie, Velmer Gardner, Tommy Hicks, Ern Baxter, Franklin Hall, right? I mean, minister after minister after minister, a popular evangelist is just more or less coming out of the woodwork and are coming and being part of this Voice of Healing Fellowship. And as they do all of this, they start to publish um, things like, um, I think I had a picture of it here on, on, on this front page. They, they put out um, the inner evangelical policy of the Branham campaigns. And this policy starts to define what these men will preach, what they'll do, what they won't do. So they almost start to develop like their own statement of faith. Yeah. They have their own um, – start to put together their own organizational structure of ministers that are kind of associated and um, endorsed by the group. And as this happens, um, all of these people coming together are looking towards William Branham really as the senior leading figure in all of this. And Gordon Lindsay is the organizing brains behind the whole thing. And – they they also start. Uh, I think I've got another. I, I yeah, I got another one here of uh, one thing. So as they're doing all this, they put together um, almost like a traveling seminary. <laughs> yeah. And they're they're training deliverance preachers as they go. They put advertisements like this, and so they're they start training people to be deliverance preachers, and you can pay the tuition. You can go to their week long course that they have. Um, they have uh, t- textbooks. They have course materials. I mean, this thing is a full-on little mini seminary for being a deliverance preacher. Yeah. And and as they travel around, they're training. They're training a whole generation of preachers with William Branham's, F. F. Bosworth's deliverance, healing, positive faith, word of faith type beliefs, um, to go out and spread these ideas. Uh, to the world. Yeah. What's really interesting is a lot of the men involved with it were either Pentecostal or considered themselves to be non-denominational leading up to this. And especially after, you know, when latter rain hit and caused the big split in Pentecostalism, a lot of ministers actually left Pentecostal and they became non-denominational. Well, then whenever this voice of healing movement started, they started using the term interdenominational, 
which means basically your denomination can join with my denomination, can join with this other, and we're going to have unity. It's basically setting up for a big failure, but more to the point, all of the all of the things that these ministers held as significant elements of their faith. In other words, if you're going to be part of my particular denomination, you must believe X, Y, and Z. Well, this Voice of Healing Fellowship made the roadmap where, no, you can't emphasize X, Y, and Z because that is in disagreement with this other member in the fellowship. So you have to find unity and you have to find common ground. And so these men were taking things that they considered to be fundamental to the Christian faith, suppressing them, and they were identifying other means to find unity among themselves. And what they're doing essentially is they're creating a new denomination of Christianity that is completely dumbed down. And, you know, there were a lot of men who joined into this thing, and they were starting to get offended because there were ministers who literally preached against their sect or their their faith their denomination and yet they couldn't preach against you know the other way because this thing was they were giving education books and training sessions on how to get along with the people who are polar opposite from you in our new denomination of faith right you know in in the message right this knowledge would make your head explode you're yes. telling me that William Branham was the head of an organization that had a traveling seminary, training preachers, and organizational, had a statement of faith called, uh, you know, this and that. That would blow your mind, right? Yeah. But that really is the truth. They don't, they have, in, instead of a statement of faith, they have a policy of, of doctrine, right? Right. Uh, instead of a seminary, they have a deliverance minister training school okay the, everything that would everything that constituted as the denomination they built it they just gave different names from kind of the traditional stuff and and william branham is right there at the peak leadership role in this thing and what they what they're doing here is they are building a huge network of preachers and ministers being taught all these things and what they're doing is going to influence an entire generation of Pentecostals and, and beyond. And, yeah. you know, basically in these few years of time, William Branham becomes the most influential Pentecostal preacher in the world. Okay. In these years, William Branham is the most influential Pentecostal preacher in the world. And all the other major Pentecostal preachers that are famous, you know, in the second tier and third tier are part of his Voice of Healing Fellowship, right? These guys are the most popular Pentecostal preachers in the world. And it's really hard to overstate how influential and important William Branham was back in these years. But I think, again, one way maybe to uh, demonstrate how famous William Branham was. I mean, take a look at this. This is the 50th anniversary celebration of Azusa Street in Los Angeles, held at the Angelus Temple, okay? William Branham is the keynote speaker at the 50th anniversary of Azusa Street, and every other minister who's anybody in Pentecostalism is at this thing, and they're preaching after William Branham's keynote address through this week. William Branham is, I mean, unquestionably, and, and there's a lot of people who don't like this fact because of what happened with William Branham in later years. William Branham was the most influential Pentecostal preacher in the world 
in these years. And that is that is the truth. And if you read these biographies, all of it, it, it really is true. And he was not the most influential for a day or two. He was this way for nearly a decade. Nearly a decade he was in this position. I think the reason it's so difficult for historians who were never involved with this or know this history to start to piece this together. The later versions of William Branham's stage persona even preach sermons entitled, Why I Am Against Organized Religion, right? The the mold that he created for his later stage persona, which is the one that would be remembered throughout history, is completely different than the version of William Branham that we have during this time. He is literally creating an organized religion. He, you know, he's a bishop in Roy Davis's sect. And again, we're going to get into Davis in later episodes, but at this period of time, Davis is kind of out of the picture. He's just went to prison. He's, he's off building the clan and he, you know, likely he's silently working with Branham, but Branham himself, this is all going to his head. Now he could be the Pope instead of the Bishop, right? So he's creating this new world that really doesn't have Davis in it. And, um, you know, this this will play out into some future episodes, but he's creating an organized religion and it's the exact thing that he taught against in the later years. And I don't know about your sect of the message, but in my sect, we were strongly against seminaries and training and teaching. You know, it was supposed to be given by God through the prophet and the, the ministers were supposed to be parrots of the prophet, basically. What we're having here is the polar opposite of what I would even consider the message, and this was the message at that time. Right. You know, what What we do in the message, right, is we blame Gordon Lindsay for all of this. <laughs> right. We say, look, Gordon Lindsay did all of this stuff against the prophet's wishes, and <laughs> but that's not true. Uh, no. No. Uh, okay, so... William Branham is wholeheartedly supporting this and going along with it and reaping all the benefits of it. It's it's not until time goes on and he has his falling out with Gordon Lindsay that he decides that all of this was was terrible, right? Yeah. Um, and so that we in the message we did think all of this was terrible, but William Branham didn't think all this was terrible at the time. He's he's the one teaching at this school. I mean, <laughs> when you read these articles. All right, he's one of the seminarians, okay? How can something be terrible when so much <laughs> money is flowing through it? <laughs> I know, right? I mean, isn't all the money proof that God loves it, right? Like <laughs> that so this is uh we're going towards the prosperity gospel now, if you can hear that. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, interesting side note that I've got to inject because this just it blew my mind. I'm still my mind is blown. We were talking about, you know, the prosperity gospel of today and all these ministers who say god will give me an airplane just preach and just pray and believe and send me your money god will give me an airplane we used to laugh at that kind of thing because william Branham would never do this right according to the way we were thought yet we knew that william Branham told a guy to buy him an airplane you know cognitive dissonance i knew this i knew that william Branham told somebody to buy him an airplane but it's again it's just this was the early formation of the prosperity gospel right and we have this way in the message of doing such so so the same thing in our sect of the message we know we knew that william branham told the the, the mosley brothers to buy him an airplane right yeah. and the mosley brothers kept that airplane around long after he died but we would what we did is instead of 
blaming William Branham for telling them to buy him an airplane. We blame the Mosley brothers, right? <laughs> oh, the Mosley brothers, they're crazy. They're out of their mind buying the profit an airplane. You know, Brian, William Branham. We would make fun of the Mosley brothers. But they just bought an airplane because William Branham asked him to. Yeah. You know, and it's just like this. We blame Gordon Lindsay for doing all of this stuff. But he was just doing it to help, you know, for William Branham. I mean, William Branham was... They're going along supporting and benefiting from all of this stuff. And these men are taking these beliefs far and wide. And here is just, you know, one page. And there are multiples of pages of all of the revivals that they're having globally. And this is just from the space of two or three weeks. These people are are having dozens and dozens of revivals every single month globally like here here they they mark on a map all the countries of the world where they're having revivals that month like these these beliefs these things they're doing are globally right if you look at this they're in canada they're in the u.s they're in mexico they're in cuba they're in jamaica south america argentina chile australia indonesia the philippines japan india pakistan south africa kenya egypt ireland germany sweden I mean, and that's that's just the ones I'm making off off the top of my head. On and on it goes. Finland, and they are global with yeah. this stuff. They are taking these beliefs to to the whole world, right? And it's not just that you know that they're going out and people are having healed and getting benefits and things like that, but they're taking a, do- a set of doctrines that had not been believed on in these groups or areas before, and specifically we'll talk about a little bit as we come as we come down but there is a whole new set of beliefs that these guys are spreading that they've learned through all of these seminaries that William Branham and Gordon Lindsay have created um, and they're taking these practices out to the world and it it really is something and and what happens here some of these men in this fellowship they get so big they get so popular that they totally outgrow the need for denominations. And, and William Branham is one of the men in that category. A. Allen's another. Oral Roberts is another. They're so big, they've gained so much popularity. They have such a great amount of access to the people. They can fundraise directly from the people. They don't have to rely on the denominations for any sort of financial support anymore. And that makes a really big shift within Pentecostalism a whole, as a whole. And this starts the era of the mega preachers and the mega churches, right? It starts these. It starts with setting off the era when you get a really popular preacher builds a really massive church, and they're pretty well independent from any other church body. And this sets all of that in motion, right? Yeah, it did. You know. Somewhere, I I don't have it in front of me, but this thing became so big. I mean, just look at the map. William Branham was the pope of this thing. He's creating basically, you've got the Catholic Church who's worldwide, and he's the pope of the anti-Catholic Church worldwide. It became so big that it even had somewhat of its own banking system. The Voice of Healing magazine towards the later years was actually selling annuities for these ministers who joined in. Yeah, and they're they're a very loose fellowship, right? Like there's not a – it's not terribly command and control, but it's – William Branham is in the senior position, and he has influenced the beliefs of all of these men. Yeah. And, you know, because of what happened with William Branham in the later years of his life, uh, the truth is most people 
who survived, you know, in their ministries into the 60s and 70s uh, after William Branham's fall from grace, um, they really tried to downplay how important William Branham was, right? But William Branham was by far one of the most influential figures in Pentecostalism in the 1950s. And the healing revivals are what got him to that level, right? And, you know, that's the exact same thing that lets William Branham be the keynote speaker at the 50th anniversary of the Azusa Street revivals, right? And, And here's the thing. At the exact same time that William Branham is keynote speaker... At the Azusa Street revivals, look look at some of the advertisements that are running in Voice of Healing. International Christian Fellowship Convention. This is Voice of Healing endorsed convention held at the Cable Tabernacle. Host pastor, the Reverend James Jones. Right. At the exact same time that William Branham is in this position, him and his organization um, are supporting Jim Jones. Right. These are the things that are going on the fringes of this movement um, that, um, again, nobody owns, nobody claims responsibility for, right? But Jim Jones and figures like that are creeping in and, and circulating uh, in this movement at this time. Yeah. And there's an ex- there's an implosion that happens in a few years later, and Jones becomes a more significant figure that we'll be getting into. But this was attracting all kinds of people, some of them good, some of them bad. And... If you really think about what happened in their ministries, this engine of creating ministries basically was responsible for the big names that we have in American history and American Christianity. Without this thing, they would not have existed in the way that they exist today. Right, and, and keep in mind, it, it, William Branham is certainly the most responsible, perhaps, for like creating Jim Jones' ministry, but... Jim Jones was on the platform with Oral Roberts. Yeah. Jim Jones was on the platform with A.A. A. Allen. Jim Jones was was there with all of these people, you know, and just like they all want to forget William Branham, they definitely want to forget Jim Jones, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But, <laughs> but this stuff is all happening together at the same pod at the same time. And we'll we'll talk a lot about Jim Jones in, in some more episodes. But you know, I know, John, I think that because of the popular appeal, right? Um of all of this, you know, the broader healing revival, it kind of had a more different flavor than the latter rain side of things, right? The healing revival had a much smaller emphasis on the fivefold ministry, a much smaller emphasis on end time teachings, and overall a much smaller emphasis on any sort of doctrines, right? Like yeah. those that po- those policy statements that they made to kind of control what the preachers could preach. Um, it really focused them and the movement overall on healings, miracles, signs, wonders, the gifts of the Spirit, right? The main thrust of the healing revival is different than the main thrust of latter rain. The main thrust of the healing revival is miracles, wonders, lights, camera, action, right? The, <laughs> right. The, the evangelists of the healing revival are very interested in broad appeal and maintaining broad popular appeal, right? And because popular appeal is so important to them, the healing evangelists as a whole, they end up a lot less cultic than the people on the latter rain side of things. Yeah. And you know, if you think about that, that that makes sense because the healing evangelists, they generally didn't develop the same authoritarian structures that the, or or even the behavioral controls that were developed on the latter rain side of things. And although they're mixing here, 
what happens is that gradually the latter rain side of things they start to take a low view of these healing evangelists right the latter rain starts to accuse the healing evangelists and the people kind of circling and coming into orbit of the healing evangelists they start saying they don't have any standards they don't have any principles they just follow the money. They just care about numbers. Yeah. And that is kind of becomes the way that the latter rain side of things starts to look at the healing revival focus side of things. And I think in some extent maybe the latter rain is true. I think maybe they were interested in numbers and money. And I think that that really probably was one of the main driving factors of what was happening in the healing revivals. It could be. You know, I wish that we had actual recordings and transcripts of every single person that was involved with both the voice of healing and the latter rain, because if you have them all and you put them together chronologically, you start to see this shift in doctrine. We can see it clearly with William Branham. When William Branham opened this thing in 1948 to become basically the leader of it, has his mental breakdown or Robert steps in, William Branham comes back and during those times, you can see from the limited number of recordings that we have during that time that his doctrine was really dumbed down. He didn't really get into, like you said, the cultic things during that time. And interestingly, a lot of his recordings are missing from that time. There's a period of time, which we'll get into this later, but there's an implosion that happens and William Branham separates himself from this for a brief period of time. During that, he's like a, he's like a train off the rails, man. He's starting to bring in the manifested sons of God doctrines and some of the more heretical things. Then voice of healing takes him back for a brief period of time. And you watch his sermons again, they start to be dumbed down and he's preaching the Trinity more often, for example, then completely separated from William Branham. The two part ways, Gordon Lindsay and William Branham are no more. And that's when William Branham literally goes insane and off the rails. So we have this chronology of William Branham's sermons doing this. Well, we also have a lot of sermons from Jim Jones. And you can see Jones, even during this time, his sermons weren't that, if you were to listen to it, you would think, well, that's not really that bad until he starts to separate from this movement. And he starts also teaching William Branham's manifested sons of God doctrine. And that's when Jones goes off the rails. So this framework that was being created, although in my opinion, it was a very bad thing that they were doing. It also had some, at least some structure for maintaining some sort of doctrinal position that wasn't destructive while they could contain it, if that makes any sense. Yes, it, it, I, I, that makes perfect sense to me because the healing revival side is, while they have their excesses and their problems, it is a much healthier environment ultimately than what the latter rain side of things turns into. Um, the 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 healing revival side, since they're designed and their goal is broad appeal, they end up being more open, right? Less rigid, less controlling of people, and it 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 evolves into you know what you see with Oral Roberts, right? I mean, Oral Roberts goes out, he makes Oral Roberts University, right? He he's bringing in all kinds of people from all kinds of places, right? It, it's, they, the, the people who focused more on the healing revival side of things, they ended up being, um, a lot more 
open, I yeah. would say, as as they come out of this thing. Uh, whereas the people on the latter rain side, and are more the more influenced you are by the latter rain, the more you end up this way. You come out of this thing um, closed and rigid and more authoritarian, right? And so that. It kind of depends on where you are in the spectrum, right? How much of the latter rain influenced you coming out of this thing as really relates to how cultic, how authoritarian, how controlling that you are. Um, and again, it goes a lot to those doctrinal statement of faith policies that William Branham and his team issued because they were less, less, um, open about those things in the broader healing revivals. It was really only when there were the latter rain crowds that they go into this area that's eventually going to produce the things that we call the message. And I think also that's kind of why when when things break up, like in my sect of the message, John, um, even though the healing revivals is what made William Branham so popular, we would say the healing revivals and, and those other healing revivalists, we had nothing good to say about them. I mean, no. we we thought really poorly of them and and a lot of us would say well they were just after money or they were just after fame or popularity right but and the reason we said that is because that's what william branham told us about them <laughs> <laughs> after he separated from them yeah. all right but the thing was he was the chief among them he yeah. was chief among them i mean think about this you know for somebody who is never ever involved I, I was raised in this thing so my my way of thinking is a certain way for people who weren't it's difficult to understand, but in parallel, this, you know, William Branham was white supremacist through and through, and the white supremacists absolutely hated the Catholic Church, hated the Catholic Church. And there are a lot of men who were influenced by the white supremacists, and they also hate the Catholic Church today. I'm, I've, I've learned that this is, this is a common thing. It's not just William Branham. But take the Catholic Church as a parallel example to put it into a different perspective. In the same structure in the Catholic Church, William Branham would have been the Pope. He was creating this new anti-Catholic Church of which he was maybe not in full authoritarian control, but like the Pope, had a subset of men who organized with him and made decisions, just like the Catholic Church. And picture in the Catholic Church, if all of these men who are under the Pope suddenly realized, hey, the Pope is a white supremacist and he's evil and he's got all of these, he's got all this really shady, dark background and he's starting to say things that are not quite in alignment with the Bible and they're fundamental to him. We need to vote this guy out. And that's what happened on the Voice of Healing side. And then the Pope leaves, gathers a small group of people, creates this destructive cult and says, all of these guys that I used to be working with, by the way, are the devil. They're all evil people. In parallel, it makes no sense. I mean, you look at this and you laugh. You think, well, this, you know, that, that just sounds absurd. But in the real world of actuality, this is exactly what happened with William Branham. Yeah, yeah. He, as this thing breaks down, we, we're going to have to do multiple full episodes on this thing. As this thing breaks down, he decides that all the denominations are evil. Why? Because he don't want his people going back to the denominations. He wants to keep them yeah. out with him. He decides all the other healing evangelists were evil. Why? Because he don't want his people going back with the other healing evangelists. He he starts erecting systems to keep his most loyal followers loyal. 
and to not go here. This is like starts of information control, John, and all kinds of thought control, right? To keep them away from going back and hearing the truth about what had happened and why he got kicked out of all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so so as the healing revivalists, they, they generally ended up less cultic than the message or the latter rain groups. But there are two really important doctrines that spring up in the healing revival on that side of things. So they're somewhat latter rain influenced, but they're more on the healing revival side of things than the latter rain side of things. And they are the prosperity gospel and the word of faith and the word of faith movement. And those things were both birthed in the healing revivals. Uh, they're two related ideologies, but they are different different ideologies. And if you if you kind of trace those out, um, I, I think I, we want to talk just a little bit about how they arose within the healing revival here. But if you trace them all the way back, the prosperity, gospel, and word of faith ideas, you'd have to go all the way back to the mid-1800s. And Back in the mid-1800s, there was a movement called New Thought, New Thought, and there's a man, I got a picture of him here, Phineas Quimby. He's probably the father of New Thought, and this is not a Christian movement at all. They don't even claim to be Christian, right? It's uh, it's, they, it's a pseudoscience is really what, what it is, and this is where the initial concepts of some of this stuff develop. And a lot of people called it Quimbyism, and some of it turned into what's called Christian science today. And in the later 1800s, quite a few ministers associated primarily in the British Israel movement, they began to adopt some of these Quimbyism ideas, right? John Alexander Dowie, Russell Kelso Carter, uh, A.B. Simpson. These people are taking some ideas that come out of New Thought, out of Quimbyism, and they start adapting them. And as they do that within their movement, they create an early version of positive confession, right? So positive confession actually primarily through, flew, or grew out of British Israelite ministers who had been impacted by Quimbyism or, or believed in some of the stuff of Quimbyism. And so that is where, um, that's where positive confession takes form in the late 1800s. And the way they do that in is they... Once they integrate it with Christian thought, they they go back to the atonement, and they say there's a dual atonement. They invent the theology of dual atonement, John. And you've talked about this before, where if you're, they believe that you're saved by faith and you're healed by faith, and Jesus Christ purchased both on the cross. Therefore, since you can be saved merely by believing on Christ instantly, you should be able to be instantly healed merely by believing on Christ, and it's a package deal, right? And so they, they start really tying divine healing to salvation very closely. And this is part of the, of the theological rationale for positive confession. And that, again, develops primarily among British Israel ministers um, in, the, in the late 1800s. And so we know how that gets down to William Branham, right? It comes through F.F. F. Bosworth, who was there with Dowie and the other British Israelite ministers. John Lake got it from Dowie, British Israelite as well. Gordon Lindsay got it directly in that line as well from, from John Lake. And these things pass down to William Branham and into these healing revivals, and they're preaching positive confession, I think as we've demonstrated multiple times, all through these healing revivals. It's part of their training material in their seminary that they're running and what happens is positive confession eventually births word of faith 
and the prosperity gospel in this healing revival movement. And John, to the best of my knowledge, to the best of my knowledge, maybe you know better, A.A. Allen was the first one to preach the full-on prosperity gospel here in the healing revival. And what he did is he took the, the positive confession beyond just health, and he also started applying it to wealth, okay? <laughs> right. <laughs> so A. Allen starts preaching health and wealth positive confession, which is prosperity gospel. Yeah. And Oral Roberts picks up a flavor of this. He really likes that. And this is how the prosperity gospel is born. And of course, the prosperity gospel is is pretty popular today in in a lot of in a lot of circles. So yeah. positive uh, positive confession births prosperity gospel during the healing revivals. My opinion is slightly different. Um, again, I've mentioned this a few times, but the message cult as we know it was not a religious cult. It was a political cult that was disguised as a religious cult, and. It could be argued that during the days of Voice of Healing, when William Branham became the Pope of this thing, that it tried mainly to transition to a religious cult, but underneath, the framework was still a political cult. And off to the side, I'm picturing Davis getting angry because here's William Branham who's becoming much, much bigger than Davis globally, and he's got this ego, and you know it becomes this thing that Davis can no longer control. But... At the bottom, at the you know the foundation of this thing, it was a political cult, and um, people make the mistake. I think this is probably why historians struggle to understand this. They they make the mistake of looking at specific doctrines as the religious foundation, assuming that the Bible or their perception of the Bible is the core philosophy of this movement, which isn't the case. If I look back at John Alexander Dowie, Dowie, as he was growing into his multi-million dollar status, hundreds of millions, he also was preaching elements of the prosperity gospel. Dowie was also deeply, deeply into Christian mysticism. And if you take Dowie's religious framework off of the top of this thing, what you end up with is Christian mysticism and positive confession and basically, you know, the prosperity gospel. People have actually argued with me trying to say that William Branham was in no way connected to Word of Faith and that Word of Faith was in no way connected to Quimby because, again, they're looking at the surface. They're looking at just these little tiny doctrines that's built on top of this foundation that is the exact same thing as Quimby. And the example that I give back is, if I hand you a Big Mac and you eat it, you're gonna know that this tastes like a Big Mac. If I take red paint and spray paint the Big Mac and turn the whole thing red, you're gonna look at it and it doesn't look like a Big Mac, but when you start eating it, you know that this thing is a Big Mac. That's what we have with the prosperity gospel. It's going through, you know, Dowie, it's going through Bosworth, it's going through Branham, it's going through Allen, it's going through Roberts. You've got all of these things are built on top of this framework of Christian mysticism and anti-biblical themes. And they all emerge in, as, you know, as various other movements and sects and doctrines, etc. But at its core, you've got this thing that basically was was the fundamental elements required to create all of these heretical movements. 
Yeah, what what I have discovered in reading all of these books <laughs> is that there's no such thing as a static ideology. There's no such thing as an idea that remains consistent over time. Ideas and ideologies are constantly evolving. And, you know, at what point does an ideology change so much that it's no longer the same ideology, right? And so what I do is when I look at it, like I, for example, I look at positive, uh, you know, the prosperity gospel, right? I look, who is the first person that I can find that gives this in this fully formed way that it's health, it's wealth, it's all of the above, and, and you can just kind of name it and claim it. And so I start there, and I think when I can find that all in a package, I'll call that the prosperity gospel, right? But nobody, the person who comes up with that did not come up with that out of the blue, right? They just didn't sit down one day and say, hey, I'm coming up with a prosperity gospel. Now, they, they're already part of a pre-existing ideology, and they're just tweaking that pre-existing ideology and adding in another component to create prosperity gospel. And as you, you keep tracing these things all the way back to the initial seed that was planted that grew into it, that, that's how um, I look at it. Quimbyism is the seed that yes. was planted, and it sprouted up, and it had some concepts, but it was not quite fully formed positive confession. But when the British Israelite ministers picked up the seeds of Quimbyism— it grew, and it grew into positive confession. And positive confession is um, 75, 80% identical to the prosperity gospel, right? So yeah. now you've got that. And then as you come to the healing revival, the other 20% fills in, and now you've got the prosperity gospel. So it's gradually growing, and it's growing in stages through different people over time. And the root of it, though, the seed all the way down here that it's built on is Quimbyism. So that's that's kind of how I look at it, and I look at the the um, word of faith the same way, right? So word of faith is a, is an ideology, and it has actually a somewhat different rationale on the back end of it than the prosperity gospel has, right? The prosperity gospel is ultimately built on the dual atonement as part of the rationale for for making it all work, but word of faith is different. Word of faith does not rely on the dual atonement to justify how it works. And when you kind of pick those pieces apart on the back end and you start tracing them back, those ideas, where do these ideas originate? How do they come in together in combination? You're exactly right, John. Word of faith is manifested sons of God. That's where that comes from, okay? So what happens in is so... A. Allen, Oral Roberts, they like the prosperity gospel, right, which is positive confession, dual atonement taken to another level. Word of faith is something different. Word of faith is positive confession mixed with manifested sons of God. That is what, what that is, and that happens as a latter rain influence is coming into the healing revival. And what happens is T.L. Osborne, um, Kenneth Hagin, they are also ministers that are very popular in these circles and, and are part of the Voice of Healing stuff going on, but they're also, they're on the side that's becoming influenced by Latter Rain, right? And what Word of Faith is, it is the positive confession idea 
evolved with mixing in some manifested sons of God ideas, because the way they arrive at word of faith is not because of the dual atonement, we can speak these things into existence, but now word of faith says we can speak these things into existence because we're reaching a higher level of Christ-likeness, and we're reaching a new level of something, and that gives us the power to be like Jesus and speak things into existence. So while they are similar in their outcome, the ideology behind it on the back end is substantially different, and they they derive through different sources. And so that that's in, I think that's important. I think for our listeners to to make sure they understand that. Um, Otherwise, you can get confused as you as you uh, try to unravel this stuff. <laughs> I think that's a really good way to explain it, <clears throat> because I mean, think of this: if you take Roy E. Davis, William Branham's mentor, away from the equation, then you take away the spiritualism that influenced William Branham. Davis was deeply into spiritualism. That's how he held his revivals. He had the stage act of being a converted spiritualist. That influenced Branham. So if you take spiritualism away from Branham, you've taken away the seed of spiritualism that grew into the manifested sons of God and into some of these other movements. Then if you take William Branham's manifested sons of God theology out of this movement. Word of faith can't exist. The prosperity gospel can still exist, but it takes a much, much different form. But if William Branham would have remained in his catatonic mental health state, whatever happened to him, and you took him out of this healing revival, then you take the manifested sons of God away, you take some of these other things that he introduced into the movement away, and all of it doesn't exist. You've got no voice of healing, you've got, basically, you've got nothing without Branham. So all of these seeds growing and combining and merging, none of which, Charles, not one of which are actually Christian. None of these things are Christian, but all of these elements are what created something that heavily, deeply influenced American Christianity. Right, and none of these things are original to William Branham, right? None of these things are original to William Branham. They're all pre-existing ideas, and in the context of the healing revival and in the context of the latter reign, these pre-existing ideologies are being tweaked, they're being modified, and they're being reformulated a bit, right? So positive confession in the healing revival reformulates into prosperity gospel, and it reformulates into a word of faith by, by merging in some manifested sons of God pieces. And William Branham is is the man with the stick stirring the pot <laughs> while all this as all of these ingredients are going William Branham is the pot is the one stirring the pot the witch's brew <laughs> so the word of faith theology and the prosperity gospel they're born at roughly the same time William Branham is at the center of this without a doubt with he's at the center of this now here's the thing William Branham William Branham did not like the prosperity gospel and i think more than anything he didn't like the title of it <laughs> honestly yeah. I think he didn't like the word prosperity in it, but he believed 90% of the prosperity gospel. Um, but he wholeheartedly believed word of faith. He was, he was, he preached word of faith. I mean, he wholeheartedly believed word of faith. Um, and honestly, I be, it's, it's hard to tell exactly, but we can 
be quite certain that really T.L. Osborne and Kenneth Hagin almost certainly learned Word of Faith from William Branham. I mean, because William Branham was the conduit b- between them and the broader Latter Rain movement, honestly. Yeah. And William Branham himself was involved in Latter Rain as these things were, were as, as Word of Faith or Manifested Sons of God was coming together. Let me just read a few quotes, John, just of William Branham um, on Word of Faith. That way, uh, maybe our listeners can can uh, can pick up what he's preaching here. This is from a sermon called Expectation. William Branham says, Now that same spoken word of God, the Holy Spirit, can make any promise of God manifest if you'll just believe it. Right? William Branham didn't so much use word of faith, but he tended to call it spoken word, is usually what he used instead of word of faith. Here's another quote. He says, it's God's eternal spoken word by born-again people by prayer, asking God, and God's obligated to his word. When that real, not put on, not make-believe, but a settled faith is in a man's heart that don't vary from God's word a bit, it's God's word being spoken by mortal lips, and that is the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. That's from a sermon, the faith delivered once unto the saints. And let me give you one more. This is from another sermon, Confirmation and Evidence. William Branham says, <clears throat> And I said, to think that God who made the universe, the God who made the solar system, who made the heavens and the earth and created them by his spoken word. Remember, a word is a thought expressed. God thought it, then he expressed it. It has to happen. For the world was framed by the word of God, and things were made out of things that do not appear. It was God's word. He thought it, and he spoke it, and it has to come to pass. It's a seed that's growing, and marvelously that has to bring forth in its season. And we can take his word, and we can see he promised in the last days that he'd draw this people out, and we would do the very same thing he did. Okay, so William Branham is teaching word of faith concepts, but he tended to call it spoken word. Um, That tended to be the phrase that he used for it. And he's preaching all of these things before Kenneth Hagin did, before T.L. Osborne did, for sure. Uh, and whether they learned it from him or some other latter rain preacher, it, it's I think the most likely thing is they learned it from him because they were listening to him the most. And what William Branham is doing with quotes like this is he's teaching people the idea that they're going to be able to speak things into existence, just like God could speak things into existence. And I know the way I understood it personally in the message, John, and maybe you can add what you think, but the way I understood it personally is that it wasn't my own power to speak something into existence but god would inspire me to say his word and then god would bring his word to pass and it's kind of kind of along that line that it was supposed to work and that's kind of the way i understood the message version of it yeah william branham even the titles of some of his sermons are very very clearly word of faith speak to the rock you know he's got all of these sermons and themes and like you said this long predated Kenneth Hagin and Hagin was a big part of this movement too. He's, you know, he's a voice of healing revivalist. Um, T.L. Osborne also was one of the editors for this thing. So these guys were deeply embedded. They heard it. Now you can argue that they're the ones who made it popular. William Branham never focused on this in 
the in the way in which they focused on it because he's like this sponge of all kinds of doctrine and where you squeeze the sponge and what you get out of the sponge happens to be different from you know revival to revival but it's part of the sponge that they absorbed and then they're basically a sponge absorbing William Branham and squeeze them and you've got word of faith but these men are teaching this thing and I think the way that it, it forms differently in the minds of children who are raised in it, but in the way in which I believed it, which was solely based on William Branham, he's got all of these statements and doctrines about ye are gods. And he would, you know, he's clearly referencing the framework that, that Kenneth Hagin uses later, but he's basically telling us that we are gods and we have the power to speak. And he's referencing all of these passages in the Bible about you can move mountains, but he says, he ties it to word of faith. He says, you have to speak to do it. And so I'm, I'm just one of many children that did this. I know others that did. We'd go around speaking things, trying to be sorcerers. You know, we, we thought we had this power to do things with our minds and in no way, shape or form did it resemble Christianity, but that's what he's telling us is Christianity. Yeah. You know, what makes again, word of faith, word of faith is the rationale behind how it works. Um, because you can change the rationale behind it and end up with the prosperity gospel instead. But word of faith works because you believe you're becoming little gods, right? You're having you're being. William Branham said little messiahs. That's how he yes. would, he phrased it. Messiahettes is how William Branham called it. This is how it works. We're becoming little Jesuses, little messiahs, right? Uh, which is different than the rationale behind how the prosperity gospel works. And here, here's a quote. I've got another quote. This is from William Branham's sermon, The Messiah. This is a pure manifested sons of God sermon, John. But he says, man, what is he? He's got a hand like God, got eyes like God, got ears like God, got a body like God. He's fashioned after God. He's given an earth and a dominion. He was made God over the earth to rule the earth, a lesser God. God rules the universe and everything, but man was given the earth to rule the earth. He was a uh, he was a Messiah at, <laughs> and that's <laughs> when he introduces the 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 little Messiah, the Messiah at um, stuff. And you know, William Branham gave very lengthy explanations about just what all this means and how it works. And and in that 1961 sermon I just quoted again, that is pure manifested sons of God latter rain ideology that William Branham is preaching. Even though in the message most people probably don't realize that's what he's preaching. That is latter rain manifested sons of God ideology that he picked up and helped formulate in the latter rain side of things. And he preaches this in the later years. Now, Kenneth Hagin and T.L. Osborne, I should say rather, T.L. Osborne stayed connected to William Branham all the way up, even through the insane years, John. T.L. Osborne was one of the men who officiated William Branham's funeral. Right. Okay. He stayed with him all the way to the end, right? And so, so did some of these other men. The, the most radical of them stayed with him all the way to the end as he, as he jumps off the deep end with, with a lot of these crazy ideas. And, and again, like we talked about in our Manifested Sons of God episode, what really matters here is what, what you mean when you say be like Jesus. But I, I pre, I'm pretty confident, you know, what William Branham is talking about when he says, that we're all going to be little messiahs is something um, kind of dangerous and toxic, right? Yeah. Um, 
A humble person, they hear, let's be like Jesus, and they think, well, let's be kind like Jesus. Let's love like Jesus, right? But a lot of people come to this from the angle of pride and of ego, and when they hear be like Jesus, they hear power, authority, control, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and this word of faith idea can take you to a dark place, right? And it has, I'm afraid, for, for quite a few people when they when they come at it at the wrong when they come at it at the angle that a lot of people tend to. Yeah. A lot of people are unaware how deeply these men were connected to William Branham and not just William Branham, but <clears throat> in the cult that that was created after William Branham and continued to grow. We have corp docs where Kenneth Hagen and T.L. Osborne are, are in government established entities with the William Branham sons um, as late as the 80s. I can't remember the exact date. I'll pull it up for the video, but these, these men were deeply connected and, you know, I, I'm just shocked that, that this history has been covered up. Right. And, you know, Kenneth Hagin claims that he prophesied William Branham's death and this, that, and maybe he did. And he said he prophesied it because William Branham had went off the deep end and went crazy. But why did he stay friends with him his whole life and support his ministry <laughs> and the cult after he died? I mean, what in the world? Yeah, the one thing that I've learned about this movement is that hindsight's twenty twenty, And these men capitalize on the fact that the general public doesn't aware, isn't aware that they're doing this. But after something happens, they'll say, well, I prophesied that. And it's very easy to say that you prophesied it after it happened, especially if nobody can prove that you did before it happened, right? So William Branham, I, I will say that they were probably prophetic in knowing that after William Branham died, he would be seen as a heretic. And so they all began severing ties after he died. But like you said, leading up to the point in which he's very much alive and about to die, these men, he was, he was their golden goose, right? He's the one who's bringing all their money. Why would they cut him off? I know. It, 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 it is, it's something else, right? It's something else. So, you know, I know these things can all be a little complicated to understand how these ide ideologies emerged, but, you know, hopefully I guess what we're saying here will be plain and clear and help people understand how some of this stuff came together. And I know I've I've spent years at this point trying to painstakingly piece all of this together, John, and so this honestly is the best of my knowledge uh, from having read all these books here behind me. And ideas from New Thought Quimbyism in the mid-1800s were picked up by various men, all associated with John Alexander Dowie. Uh, and it was in their ranks that positive confession was formulated in the late 1800s, which then took a full turn into prosperity gospel uh, as you come into the healing revivals. Uh, and A. Allen, or rather, and F.F. Bosworth and William Branham are the bridge that those ideas came into the healing revival. And then Kenneth Hagin and T.L. Osborne took positive confession. They mixed it with the manifested sons of God ideas that William Branham was preaching as well and produced the word of faith theology. And William Branham is right in the middle of all of that. He is the conduit through which all of that's happening and being cooked up in the in the mid-1950s. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary. And it is, you know, even in this episode, I don't think that we did it full justice for somebody to understand just how complex this is and how it all fits together. You really have to deeply study this and not just for a week or two weeks or a month. You have to study this thing for years to understand the intricate details of how all of this is interconnected and interwoven. But at its core, William Branham is literally the thread that binds it all together. 
Yeah. And I know before we wrap up this episode, there's one last thing I definitely wanted to make sure I made a point of. You know, that Voice of Healing Fellowship, it started first as just associated evangelists, but they actually really were building a full-on formal denomination, you know, as time went on. And the Full Gospel Fellowship International is the Voice of Healing denomination that yes. they built. Full Gospel Fellowship International. And they do a whole lot of church planning. Certainly hundreds of churches in the United States and Canada that they plant. And and other churches join into the Full Gospel Fellowship of Churches. And there are still Full Gospel churches all over the place today. If you see a church with Full Gospel in their name, there's a pretty good odds that they sprung up during the healing revival um, and were were planted by these healing evangelists, right? And also just want to point out a few numbers, right? You know, at the start of the 1900s, there were maybe, I looked into this the other day, there were maybe 200,000 people who believed positive confession-style beliefs at about 1900, right? But by the time you get to the end of the healing revivals in the 1950s, it's no longer just about 200,000 people mostly in the United States and Canada, but it is millions of people in dozens of countries that have adopted... Uh, these positive confession, prosperity, gospel, and word of faith kind of ideas. And it is these healing revivalists, um, inspired and led by William Branham, that spread these ideas globally, right? And then Oral Roberts and Kenneth Hagan and T.L. Osborne, men like them, they kick off televangelism. They are the original televangelists as you come into the 1960s. And when they do that, they take these ideas to even wider audiences, and the charismatic movement starts to emerge as you come into the late 60s and 70s, and they push all of these ideas into the charismatic movement, that second wave of Pentecostalism as it really takes off. And through their ministries... Uh, tens of millions of people are exposed to these ideas. And Kenneth Copeland... He got his ideas from Kenneth Hagin, right? Those ideas pour, pour into the New Apostolic Reformation today through him. Just like a lot of William Branham's latter rain ideas poured into Paul Cain and from Paul Cain to the Kansas City Prophets and from the Kansas City Prophets to the Vineyard Movement and, and to Bethel and to all these other kinds of places that are out there today. And from Ern Baxter, they went into the Shepherding Movement and from there out into wider Christianity as well. So there, these things just spread far and wide and they're if you know the history of the movement and you know the names and you know who worked together and the stuff that happened, you can trace all of these ideas all back. They they converge in a nexus around William Branham. And like you said, John, if you then go back another generation, they all converge again at Alexander Dowie. It's very clearly fully connected. I mean, it's like if you took a, a big pane of glass and then just shattered it with a sledgehammer all the pieces of the glass become slightly different but they're still you know originally they're part of this thing which was basically the voice of healing movement and and like you said the voice of healing denomination which will blow the minds of people who were in the message cult because I, I'm, I'm sure you're the same way but we were just manipulated and programmed to think that even the word denomination was satanic and yet that's what they were doing they were creating a denomination right and and how these I ideas evolved again maybe one last point i keep saying one last point <laughs> <laughs> this is it i promise this is it. Uh, you can tell i'm a preacher right <laughs> <laughs> the uh so 
I mentioned how these ideas grow, right? It's a seed that's planted. Quimbyism turns into positive confession, which turns into prosperity gospel, which turns into, you know... Today, we're in an, another one or two iterations beyond this stuff, right? These things are no longer exactly what they were in the 50s and 60s, right? No. They These ideas have modified again, right? And what people do that are brainwashed, John, right? And I know exactly what people do when they're brainwashed about these things because I was once brainwashed by these things, John. <laughs> what they do is they say, what I believe, no, that's not positive. That's not prosperity gospel. That's not word of faith. This is some divine thing that came from the Bible. They're unable to grasp that this is an evolving ideology, right? Yes. And what I believe today, even though it's 10% different, right, does not mean that this is a brand new ideology that somebody got from God. What this means is I believe the same thing and somebody decided to tweak it, right, and tell me God told them to tweak it. But no, this is the, this is the same ideology and this is the next evolution of that ideology, right? And the thing is, you own all of the baggage all the way back to the beginning of this ideology, right? Because for you to believe that ideology today, you have to believe that T.L. Osborne was inspired of God, and Kenneth Hagin was inspired of God when they made their tweaks to it, and William Branham was inspired of God when he made his tweaks to it, and John Alexander Dowie was inspired when he made his tweaks to it, and on all the way back to the original man who invented the seed concept that he was inspired of God when he planted that seed to begin with. So you have to own, you have to own the whole growth process on your beliefs. You really do, and you have to own what the Bible says about this. I mean, to be honest, the Bible says it talks about the parallels of building the house on the shifting sand, right? It's literally talking about if you have all of these principles that are on a false foundation, the house is going to fall. When you're manipulated in this type of movement as we were, and even, you know, some of the word of faith people that I've talked to recently, as of like last week, these people are also manipulated in the same way. If they can just find 1% of difference between what William Branham said and what Hagen said, for example, they say, no, this is disconnected. This is just guilt by association. They're avoiding that passage about the shifting sand. William Branham laid the foundation that these men built upon to create their ministries. So there's just so much, you know, here that we could talk about and, I'm kind of like you. I could keep going. Let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Why don't we put those into the next episode? And um, we've got so many more things that we want to share with you. There's just so much here. If you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org and christiangospelchurch.org. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the healing revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examination of William Branham and his message, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Join us again next week. We've got a great episode coming. <laughs> <laughs>